Jude, the book of Jude. This, I believe, will be the last message uh, from this book and series that we've been preaching through this book. I want to read verses 24 and 25. Now unto him that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy, to the only wise God, our Savior, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and ever. Amen. The title of the message is Now Unto Him. Now Unto Him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for the opportunity and the blessing that's been to have been dwelled together in, with your people today in your church. Thank you for the shawls being here, for their testimony and the, the labor of love that they've given, served you. And thank you that we can have a part in the extension of our ministry here, and uh, we thank you for the fruit that's being brought forth uh, through them. Continue to bless them, safety and protection as we travel and and uh, go back to Greenland. I pray that you would continue to open doors and use them mightily, and and I pray that you just open uh, the blinded eyes of those Greenlandic people that they might see the truth, understand the truth, and 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 uh, apply it. Um, make application to life. So just work and uh, just pray you bless now as we look into the Word of God again. May you be glorified and honored, and might we be encouraged and challenged. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. It is the nature of things in this world to go from order to disorder. You know, good to bad. That's the nature of things. That's the second law of thermodynamics order to disorder. You know, systems to d- dissolve into chaos. And so it happens with churches and individuals if not led by a proper authority. You know, consider that you know, many, of the, many of the Southern Baptist churches 50, 60, 80, 100 years ago would have been churches just like ours. Now, the Southern Baptist Convention is right over here at Southeastern teaching critical race theory. You know, many of those churches, some of them are, some are more conservative in the convention and others are just outright liberal. Women preachers. Um, there's even independent Baptist churches that now do not teach and practice biblical standards. You know, I've had many preachers say, that's a dead issue. Dress standards are a dead issue. Or, oh, that's a divisive issue. Well, you know, in the, when I read my Bible in, in the first two chapters of Genesis, I, I found division. God divided the darkness from the light. God is a God. By the way, God is very discriminatory. Very discriminatory. He's fair, but he's discriminatory. Discrimination is not a bad thing. But you know, this is, his, his, his discriminatory is the same for everyone. He's no respecter of persons. You know, Bible versions, 
Again, all these are divisive now, many places divisive or dead issues and no longer sought. You know, sadly, some of those that were most vehement and strong about these things have now completely forsaken them. So, the point I'm trying to make here is, so if we are to maintain, as we're commanded here in the book of Jude, to contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. If we're to maintain that, we need an authority to guide us, to direct us, to whom we are accountable. And one who has the power to sustain us and strengthen us in that faith. That's not a fellow preacher. Or some missionary or mission board or whatever. It's the word of God. It's God himself. He is the word. For it's not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. Zechariah 4, 6. You know, the Lord of hosts refers to the angel, the host of heaven, yea, all of creation. James 5, 4 says, Behold, the hire of the laborers who have reaped down your fields, which if you have kept back by fraud, crieth. And the cries of them which have reaped are entered into the, Lord, the ears of the Lord of Sabaoth. And the word Sabaoth refers to the, the armies of heaven, the armies of Israel, all those who are under the authority of the leadership and protection of Jehovah. And we need to be under that protection if we're going to maintain his cause in this war. We are in a war. This is a spiritual war. Look at Luke chapter 2. Not Luke. Psalm chapter 2. I guess I still have Luke on the brain. Psalm chapter 2 says... Why do the heathen rage and the people imagine a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed saying. So why, do, why is the heathen raging against God's people? Why is there a, an increase of antagonism and persecution against the people of God? Verse 3. Let us break their bands asunder, cast away their cords from us. He that sitteth in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall have them in derision. Then shall he speak unto them in his wrath, and vex them in his sore displeasure. Yet I have, set, have I set my king upon my holy hill of Zion. I will declare to the decree, The Lord hath said unto me, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. Ask of me, and I shall give thee the heathen for thine inheritance, the uttermost parts of the earth for thy possession." Thou shalt break them with a rod of iron. Thou shalt dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Be, not, be wise now, therefore, O you kings, and be instructed, ye judges of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the Son, lest he be angry, and ye perish from the way when his wrath is kindled by little. Blessed are all they that put their trust in him. You know, if we don't continually maintain a life of trusting in him, we're going to be like these apostates that Jude describes falling away. Just like Demas, whom Paul said hath forsaken me, having loved this present even world. You see, to maintain the faith once delivered unto the saints requires something of greater power than you and I. 
Because if it's dependent upon you and I, it isn't going to stand. If this church is dependent upon you and I, it's going to fall. See, somewhere along the way, these Southern Baptist churches got their eyes off the Lord and began to worry about what people thought. You know, we call that seeker-friendly. You begin to, you know, what the people want, so you give them. And we see that in these last two verses, what, the, what it is that is required. It's now unto him that is able to keep you from falling. Your faithfulness in our walk, first of all, faithfulness in our walk requires dependence on the Lord. It requires dependence on the Lord. Now unto him that is able. It's not now unto the pastor who's able, or the deacon who's able, or the Sunday school teacher who's able, or you who is able. No, unto him who is able. You know, that is able means to be able to do something, able, capable, strong, powerful, to have power, whether by virtue of one's own ability and resources. And only God has that kind of power. It's unto Him be glory in the church. Ephesians 3.20 says, Now unto Him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us, and that power is of the Lord. It isn't just because I have a stubborn, strong will. It's of the Lord. Because I also have, with that strong will, I have a sinful nature. And that strong will can lead me into sin. You know, I used to think, when I was young and foolish, now I'm just an old, whatever. Anyway, that Paul was just a stubborn man. No, he was a surrendered man. When he said on the road to Damascus, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? He meant what he said. Those weren't just a few idle words. You see, it is the Lord that will keep you standing firm. Now unto him that is able to keep you from fault. The word keep here means to guard a person or thing that he may remain safe lest he suffer violence, be despoiled. It's equivalent to protect. You know, the Lord is our protector. He's our guard. He's the one that keeps us. The, the, the words from falling, again, means standing firm or exempt from falling. You know, it, is, it is God that saves us and keeps us. And keeps us. First Peter 1, 3 to 5, Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to His abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you. And it's the Lord who hath reserved that in heaven for us, who's given us an incorruptible inheritance and keeps us undefiled. And then it goes to verse 5, says, Who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. You see, in our own strength, we are incapable of dealing with the wiles of the devil. Even Michael, the archangel, 
Verse 9 tells us Michael, the archangel, was disputing with the devil about the, the body of Moses. And he didn't, he, didn't say, he didn't say, I rebuke thee. He said, the Lord rebuke thee. He recognized that the devil had great power. You know, our enemy has great power. And to be victorious over him is not in us. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. It's the Lord. It's God. He's our protector. You know, sometimes what we need to realize is there are some things we should not worry about because they're not our problem. You know, sometimes my wife will say something about something and I'll say, don't worry about it. It's not your problem. Sometimes we fret about things, and you know what? I think the Lord must be there saying to us, you know, you could quit worrying about it. That's my problem. I'll take care of that. I'll take care of that. Look at, I'm going to look at a few verses here. Psalm 91. Go to Psalm 91. <clears throat> Psalm 91. He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God, in Him will I trust. Surely He shall deliver thee from the snare of the fowler and from the noise and pestilence. He shall cover thee with His feathers, under His wings shalt thou trust. His truth shall be thy shield and buckler. Thou shalt not be afraid for the terror by night, nor for the arrow that flieth by day, nor for the pestilence that walk in darkness, nor for the destruction that wasteth at new day. A thousand shall fall at thy side, and ten thousand at thy right hand, but it shall not come nigh thee. Only with thine eyes shalt thou behold and see the reward of the wicked, because thou hast made the Lord, which is my refuge, even the Most High, my ha- thy habitation. There shall no evil befall thee, neither shall any plague come nigh thy dwelling. For he shall give his angels charge over thee to keep thee in all thy ways. They shall bear thee up in their hands, lest thou dash thy foot against a stone. Thou shalt tread upon the lion and the adder, the young lion and the dragon shalt thou trample under feet. Because he has set his love upon me, therefore I would deliver him. I will set him on high, because he hath known my name. He shall call upon me, and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble, and I will deliver him and honor him. With long life will I satisfy him and show him my salvation. I think it was Stonewall Jackson said, if you, if you are trusting in the Lord and, and walking in fellowship with the Lord, you should feel as safe as in battle as you do in your tent. Psalm 34, verse 7 says, The angel of the Lord encampeth round about them that fear him and delivereth them. You remember when Israel left Egypt and encamped by the Red Sea? And Pharaoh thought, oh boy, here's my opportunity. They got the sea in front of them and the mountains behind them and on the side. They can't get away. And he goes after them. And I think that the Lord just sort of snapped his fingers and sent a clap. And the presence of God came down and if you will, sat between Egypt and Israel. 
and a cloud. What's a cloud? Vapor? Very threatening, isn't it? Do you know what? It rendered Pharaoh helpless. Just a cloud. God just sent his presence. Just See, the Lord campeth round about them that fear him. That's our God. That's our God. He also has the power to present us forward in faithful testimony. Notice verse 24 again. Now unto him that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. The word present here means to bid, to stand by, or to set up. To set up in the presence of others or in the midst The illustration is like before judges or before the members of the Sanhedrin. Paul was set in their midst. And to cause to make his appearance faultless. Remember in Mark chapter 13 verse 9, the Lord told the disciples, Take heed to yourselves, for they shall deliver you up to councils and in the and in the synagogues, and ye shall be beaten, and ye shall be brought before rulers and kings for my sake, for a testimony against them. Look at Acts chapter 5. Keep that in mind. A testimony against them. And look at Acts chapter 5. In verse 27. And here we have... The disciples being presented in testimony against the Sanhedrin. Acts 5.27 says, When they had brought them, they set them before the council. And the high priest asked them, saying, Did not we straightly command you that you should not teach in this name? Behold, you have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine and intend to bring this man's blood upon us. Then Peter and the other apostles answered and said, We ought to obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom ye slew and hanged on a tree. Him hath God exalted and with his right hand to be a prince and a savior, for to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. We are his witness of these things. So is also the Holy Ghost, whom God hath given to them that obey him. And when they heard that, they were cut to the heart and took counsel to slay them. See, what was... What was happening here, the Lord was presenting Peter and the apostles before the Sanhedrin as a testimony against the Sanhedrin for for their actions against God. Against God. Of course, God's work today, as we know, is carried out through those who have been commissioned through His churches to testify of the gospel of the kingdom. Of course, that is the redemption through Jesus Christ. And we are commissioned as ambassadors for our Lord. You know, Paul wrote to the church at Corinth in 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and verses 1 through 3, and in there he tells us that ye are our epistle, written and read of all men. And then in chapter 5, verse 20, he says, Now then we are ambassadors for Christ, as though we did by God, beseech you by God. Be ye reconciled to God. 
know, an ambassador is one who's sent with authority, representative of another authority, a greater authority. And, and we are sent by God's authority as a witness and a testimony against the sin and wickedness of the world and for the Lord Jesus Christ. The Shaws are ambassadors to Greenland for the Lord. We are ambassadors to Rollsville. And he presents us. So when you feel like you've been put in a pinch, that you've been put on display before somebody out there in the world that's asking you questions, remember, God is presenting you as a testimony for him. And he can present you, it says here, present you faultless. That means without blemish or unbelievable. You know, people, people will look at the lives, your life, and see that they, you have something they do not have. I mean, your children don't tear the restaurant apart. You know, people don't mind setting the table next to you when you have your children. You know, I've read stories where families got kicked out because their children were too rowdy. Some of them I'd like to kick out. See, and the world is looking for answers. And so the Lord sets us before, he says, present you faultless before the presence of his glory. So we are presented as his ambassador before the lost and dying world, and before, that word before means over against or opposite, before the face of, before the presence of, in the sight of, we're in there in the sight of God. We're there in God's place. We're there as God's representative. In Joshua 1.5, the Lord said to Joshua, There shall not any man be able to stand before thee all the days of thy life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with thee. I will not fail thee, nor forsake thee. In Joshua 3.7, it says, And the Lord said unto Joshua, This day will I begin to magnify thee in the sight of all Israel, that they may know that as I was with Moses, so I will be with thee. You see, it was God that magnified Joshua. And it will be God that will magnify you before people that are looking for answers, real answers for real problems in life. As a witness against their sin. A witness for God. And it is he that is able. He is able to magnify you in the sight of other people. Do you remember what the Lord said to Moses? How Pharaoh would view him? Do you remember what he said? 
I have made thee a what? A god to Pharaoh. You know, when I read, when I read the account of all the things that Moses did in Egypt, I often wonder, why didn't Moses just kill him? Or why didn't Pharaoh just kill him? I mean, all the trouble that he did to Egypt. Why didn't Pharaoh just kill him? Because God put it in the heart of Pharaoh to view Moses like a god. After all, the Egyptians worshipped all kinds of things. So another god? That's no big deal. And he put it in the heart of Pharaoh. The Lord controls the, heart, the king's heart. It's in the hand of the Lord, and he turns it whithersoever he will. Joshua 23, 9. For the Lord hath driven out before you great nations and strong. In other words, these are nations stronger than Israel was. But as for you, no man hath been able to stand before you unto this day. Philippians 2, 14 and 15 says, Do all things without murmurings and disputings, that ye may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God without rebuke, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, among whom ye shine as lights in the world. We're like lights in the world. You know, everybody's attracted to light, even mosquitoes, you know. Uh, But people are attracted to light. We're to hold forth the word of life. Holding forth the word of life. When the children of Israel were were in the wilderness by Moab, remember Balak hired Balaam to curse them. Did you ever stop and consider why did he want them cursed? Why did he see Israel, what did he see in Israel that caused him to fear them? Well, there's an interesting statement in Numbers 23, and I've used this illustration many times, 21 to 23, where it says, where Balaam says concerning Israel, he hath not beheld iniquity in Jacob. I don't know if that's the same Jacob that I know of, but, you know, that's what the Bible says. He hath not beheld iniquity in Jacob. Neither hath he seen perverseness in Israel. The Lord is his God. His God is with him, and the shout of a king is among them. Surely there is no enchantment against Jacob, neither is there any divination against Israel. According to this time, it shall be said of Jacob and of Israel, What hath God wrought? You see, Balak saw the testimony of Almighty God against him, and it was through Israel that he saw that. Therefore, they were a threat to him. You see, it's through the faithfulness of those who contend for the faith that the world takes notice and it causes them to fear and reverence God. Do you ever wonder why there's no fear of God in the world in our country today? It's because of the apostasy in our churches. There's no fear of God in our churches. You know, it used to be to forsake a church and try to go to another was a very difficult thing. A dangerous thing. Now people church hop all the time. And pastors never check. There's little fear of God. 
You know, comp compromising, pragmatic Christianity has caused people to think that God is like unto them and therefore really of no consequence. I mean, He's not a God to be feared and reverenced. He's my co-pilot. What's a co-pilot? He's the pilot that is second in command. Is that a fitting description of God? Not the God I know. Or he's the man upstairs. Is that a fitting description of God? Not the God I know. And not the man Christ Jesus I know. Especially when you read the book of Revelation, which really reveals who he really is. See, our Bible tells us he's to be had in reverence of all those that are about him, Psalm 89. So, he presents you faultless for the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. Uh, faultless before the presence of his glory. You know, the presence means in front of or sight of. So, we are in doing this in the sight of God. When Moses went before Pharaoh, God's presence was with him. See, see, the reason Pharaoh did not kill Moses was he saw God's presence in Moses. There's, you know, Pharaoh's mindset was there's something extraordinary about this man. Some different. You know, the world ought to view us differently than everyone else in the world. They all see us as different. See, God's presence, when, when we are presented as a witness and testimony for the Lord, God's presence is with us. When those three Hebrew men were tied up and thrown into the fiery furnace, what did Nebuchadnezzar say? He said, I see four men loose and walking around, and the fourth looks like the what? Son of God. That's because it was the Son of God. See, God went with them as a witness and a testimony to Nebuchadnezzar and all those that were around there. These are my children. These are my servants that have testified against you and against your idol. Isaiah 43, 2, When thou passest through the waters, I will be with thee. Through the rivers they shall not overflow thee. When thou walkest through the fire thou shalt not be burned, neither shall the flame kindle upon thee. For I am the Lord thy God, the Holy One of Israel, thy Savior. Hebrews 13, 5 and 6, Let your conversation be without covetousness, for he has said, I will never leave thee, nor forsake thee. So let me boldly say, The Lord is my helper, I will not fear what man should do unto me. You see, when you take God at His word and trust Him, He will keep His word of promise to you. He will keep you and present you faultless as a testimony to a lost world. He will strengthen you. He will uphold thee with the right hand of His righteousness. Isaiah 41.10 says. We also see He will... 
be magnified, or he will be glorified. Notice again verse 24. Now unto him that is able to keep you from falling and present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. The word glory is defined as majesty which belongs to God. When Nebuchadnezzar looked in that fiery furnace, he saw something that he had never seen before. He said the fourth looks like the Son of God. Majesty. And when we are a faithful testimony, it brings glory to God. It demonstrates the majesty of God. When we are faithful in suffering, affliction, ridicule, in witness and take God's word, see God do only what God can do. It displays the majesty, the mighty power of God. And it brings, it brings exceeding joy. This, this phrase, exceeding joy, speaks of the oil of gladness with which persons were anointed at feasts. Which is an allusion to the inaugural ceremony of anointing of a king or something to that effect. And, it, and it's used as an emblem of divine power and majesty to which is described the Christ alone. You know, in Acts chapter 2, verse 46, for example, they continuing daily with one accord in the temple, breaking bread from house to house, did eat their meat with gladness. There was, there was exceeding joy in the church there in Jerusalem. Well, the multitudes getting saved, and they were of one heart. You know, Psalm 23, verse 5 says, Thou preparest a table before me. Thou preparest a table. Again, now unto him. It is God that prepares a table for me. Where? In the presence of mine enemies. You're too often we want to go and do what's easy. Where people like us. And then, therefore, by doing that, we short-circuit, we short-circuit God being able to work mightily. No, he prepares a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. And in the presence of mine enemies, he anoints my head with oil. My cup runneth over. So when you are faithful in the presence of the enemies of God, God is going to magnify himself through you. He will demonstrate his power and majesty through you. After all, he is the divine power. Notice verse 25. To the only wise God, our Savior. The wording's a little interesting here. God, our Savior. Jesus is God. Be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and ever. Amen. The word only... It's an adjective, means alone, without a companion. Without a companion. It applies to 
one person alone. You know, like there's several in the Bible. You know, there was only one high priest. Of course, there were many because of death. They continued on, but there's only one at a time. Only one high priest. They say, you know, the loneliest position is at the top. There was only one high priest. And he went alone into the Holy of Holies once a year for the atonement. To make atonement for the people. There's only one God. Only one Savior. Only one who dwelleth in the light. Only one potentate and King of kings and Lord of lords. 1 Timothy 6, 15 and 16 says, Which in his times he shall show who is a blessed and only potentate, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who only hath immortality, dwelling in the light which no man can approach unto, whom no man has seen nor can see, to whom be honor and power everlasting. Amen. You know, the revelation, the book of Revelation, is really the revealing, that's why it's called the revelation, the revealing of the Son of God and all His power and glory and majesty. You read chapter 1, and the appearance of the Son of God before John on the Isle of Patmos. He's the one that is, was, and shall come. The Almighty. He's the only one that dwells in the light. John, 1 John 1, 6, God is light, and in Him is no darkness at all. There is no human that could ever say that honestly. You know, many people you've heard say, Oh, I'm not that bad. I'm pretty good. You may be good, but you're not pretty. You know. What's pretty good? Pretty good in the sight of God can be pretty bad. But even that's a prideful statement. You know, after all, Jeremiah 17.9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked who can know it. And Romans 3 tells us about the four Roman nuns. There's none righteous, none that seeketh after God, none that understandeth, and none that doeth good. No, not one. That's man. Exodus 15.11 says, Who is like unto thee, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like thee, glorious in holiness, fearful in praises, doing wonders? You know, that was a song that Miriam and the women sang after, the, after going through the Red Sea and the Egyptians being drowned in the sea. Who is like thee? None. There's none like thee. He's the only wise God. Psalm 113. Psalm 113 says, Praise ye the Lord. Praise all you servants of the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. From the rising unto the sun and unto the going down of the same, the Lord's name is to be praised. The Lord is high above all nations, his glory above the heavens. Who is like unto the Lord our God who dwelleth on high? who humbleth himself to behold the things that are in heaven and in the earth. He raises up the poor out of the dust and lifteth the needy out of the dunghill, that he may set him with princes, even with the princes of his people. He maketh the barren women to keep house and to be a joyful mother of children. Praise ye the Lord. 
Who is like unto our Lord? Isaiah 45, 22. Look unto me, all, uh, look unto me and be ye saved, all the ends of the earth. For I am God and there is none else. There's none else. See, it's now unto him. We are saved by him. It's not by works of righteousness that we have done, but according to his mercy, save us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. We're saved by God. And we are kept and empowered by God. If Philippians 1 6 says, He that hath begun this work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. In you know, my life, verses 1 Thessalonians 5 24. Faithful is he that calleth you, who also will do it. When I was 19, if you'd have ever said, you're going to be a preacher someday, I'd have said, you are out of your rocker. Off your rocker. Well, I ain't up front people and talk. You see, but God doesn't ask of us anything he will not empower us to do. Are you depending on him? Is your trust in him? Is he your strength and your portion? Or do you have this attitude? Well, I can handle this one. Moses thought he could handle it too. So he killed an Egyptian. Then when he tried to separate two Israelites, one of them said, you're going to kill me like you did the Egyptian yesterday? See, he thought, I can do this. I can do this. After all, I'm a prince in Egypt. You know what I think the Lord said? So what? So what? So what if you are a prince? It's I that will bring the children of Israel out. You just need to go do what I tell you. You just need to trust me. You know, Moses trying to do things in his own way was very ill-prepared to get water out of a rock. He had to learn that the power was of God and not of himself. So it's now unto him. It's God that is able to keep you from falling. 
It's God that is able to present you as a testimony for a lost and dying world. It is God that will keep you. Are you trusting in him, resting on his promises, allowing him to glorify himself through your surrender and being available for him?